Hello and welcome back to this, our seventh episode looking at the book of Genesis in our our podcast series, Sabbath School from Home. Very glad that you've decided to spend some time with us. We're going to have a second try at our topic from last week because last week we um, we didn't get very far and I'm going to blame Ken. What do you say, Ken? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad to be back here. I'm glad you haven't kicked me off. Uh, so... <laughs> No, g'day everybody. Good to good to be here. I'm here as well. I'm Luke. Hello. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm Lachlan. And I have to admit that I've been uh, I've been thinking so hard about all of Ken's challenges from last week's episode that that I may have forgotten one or two of the details of what he said. So, Cam, can you can you help point us back to yeah. where we're looking and and what we're picking back up on? Now, uh, we're going to look at Genesis 13. And in fact, last week we read the entire chapter and uh, we're with the object of discussing Lot. And uh, before we started, Ken supplied us with four introductory topics of interest to, to uh, get us started. Uh, it, they were too successful, Ken. That's the problem. Um, the first was, what, what does it mean when Abraham called on... Well, it says that here, Abraham called on the name of the Lord. The name yeah. of the Lord. Yeah, mm. and so we discussed that, and if you're interested, go listen to the episode from last week. Um, some of the other issues that came out were this uh, scarcity of resources, um, and then one of them was um, that God seems in this story in chapter 13 to wait until after Lot has left before he uh, promises to give Abraham the whole land, almost as if God doesn't want lot to know there's something a bit secretive about this so it seems uh can uh is there anything left of your introductory points that jumps out to you now that because we're, we're going to continue looking at lot and we might actually address address this this question of this um the fact that god seems quite intent on making a covenant with abraham singularly look i think i was in i think that's worth just pausing for a moment to think about, well, why is it that the story says that God said to Abram after Lot had departed from him? Um, what, what, yeah, why did he wait? What, what are the sort of reasons you might wait before having a conversation with somebody? Hmm. Um, maybe Lot wouldn't have been ready to hear that. Maybe Lot would have been offended by it. Um, or, or maybe um, it was that uh, God had to wait until Lot had gone before he could get Abraham to see that um, this was something that was going to happen independent of Lot. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, well, it's worth reiterating um, that that phrase is in verse 14 of Genesis 13. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from place uh, northward and southward and eastward and westward. And there's this promise of land. Um, but in the preceding three verses, so Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. In the last couple of episodes, we've commented on the way that east has featured in the book of Genesis so far in, a, in conjunction with people becoming less aligned, let's say, with, with God's plan. So there's some, there's some co judgmental commentary in a sense being implied on Lot. And then it gets worse because the land where he settles, Lot Lot um, moved down among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked 
great sinners against the Lord. It doesn't say Lot was in that category of great sinners against the Lord, but Lot is clearly somewhat comfortable with co-locating and associating with people who are de described by the narrator as being great sinners against the Lord. So there is some potential reason uh, given just by that uh, contextual placement. It, it, it is implied by the author of Genesis that the Lord wasn't fully satisfied with Lot. I, I think there's something we could consider here. We're, we're talking about this as though God was sort of waiting for Lot to leave so he could talk to Abraham. That's the assumption, right? Mm. What if it's simply a case of if Lot had stuck around, he would have been included? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and or take it a step further. Um, God was waiting to see which of them headed east. Yes, oh. indeed, because Abram gave Lot the choice. Wow, um, that's a that's a really, really interesting can of worms. I mean, it's exactly the same category of question as saying, what if Adam had not eaten the fruit when Eve had eaten and offered it to him? Um, uh, you know, a wild alternative history where we have to speculate. But, you know, imagine how different the... <laughs> Sliding doors yeah. on steroids. <laughs> imagine how different the rest of Genesis would be if it was not Abraham who was the father of the nations. Um, you know. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, we we say that. But presumably, if we do have some power of agency, which is what the book of Genesis heavily suggests, mm. there could have been many alternate pathways and mechanisms that God could have could have utilised. Mm. And it could very well be the case that the choices of the people involved... In fact, the message of the Bible seems very much heavily to be that our choices have you know, reasonable significance. Mm. 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 There's another one that I want to throw in right here while we're talking about Lot. I don't. I think we've alluded to this in some previous episodes, but I remember a few years ago being really captivated reading the Adventist theologian and Old Testament scholar Lawrence Turner, who um, actually wrote a fairly accessible sort of commentary on the book of Genesis or on this first part of the book of Genesis. And um, it was... It was in that book that I first encountered the idea that that some scholars have that Abram at this part of the story is envisaging Lot as a surrogate heir through which God's promise of many children and a great nation will be fulfilled because he knows as well as we do that he and his wife Sarah can't have kids. And so um, I remember first encountering that idea. Abraham is treating Lot, who is his nephew, effectively as his son and heir, um, there are many things that subtly change in your reading of the story at that point. So uh, in this chapter, Abraham offers Lot the first choice of the land. Um, that is potentially great generosity. Or is it that he's just prioritizing the benefit to his descendants? Um, and and all of these sorts of things. If there is some validity in that reading of the character of Lot and of Abraham's, um, you know, taking Lot with him when he's instructed by God to leave his father's household, then perhaps there is actually something significant about the Lord saying to Abraham after Lot had separated from him. There's an perhaps God is implying to Abraham. You haven't quite got the picture that I'm thinking of here. But but I'm not quite comfortable with that, as I say it, because if that is God's implication, boy, is it subtle. 
<laughs> well, it's, well, it's pretty well, subtle. Not, I, 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 yeah, go on, Luke. Oh, I was just going to say, I think you've observed something possibly quite significant there, Locke, in that up until this point, Lot had followed Abram. He had gone with him. Mm. And I, because I, I just popped back to uh, chapter 12 for a second. And at the start of chapter 12, which is the start of Abram's story, because um, 11, as we said previously, finishes with the genealogy down to Abram. Um, the start of it, God says to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I'll make you into a great nation. Um, and then verse 4 says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. So Lot's with him on this journey that the Lord has sent him on. Hmm. Up until chapter 13 um, and verse 11. Actually, um, now that you say that, Luke, um, 13 verse 1, and Lot went with him. 13 hmm. verse 5, yes, and, Lot, and Lot who went, went with, with Abram. Is, There's is that phrase over and phrase. over again. And now suddenly, Lot has separated from him. Hmm. Hmm. And so it could be something in that. And God is saying, look, the, the plan is still in place. It's not, I know you're thinking it's Lot, but it's not Lot. <laughs> it's going to be someone else. I think I think there's a lot in a lot in that. Oh, <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> uh, completely unintentional. That's all um, I've got time for, everyone. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> uh, uh, because if Abram did think that this is the end, uh, then God's saying to him, "No, it's not. It's still here." Uh, he's coming back and saying. So initially, I looked at it and thought, "Well, what was God's purpose in waiting hmm. until?" Lot had departed. Uh, God had no purpose in waiting until then. Um, but when Lot had gone, he wanted to reaffirm with Abram that the plan is still in place. Lot's departure doesn't undermine my promise to you in any way. Right. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that that's a very valid reading of, uh, of what's taking place. There's... Um... Um, and I don't... Th- Sorry, you go, Ken. Oh, I was going to take us in a new direction. So if there's any thoughts on that direction, then let's stick with that. I was just going to say, I don't think that understanding of of what's happening in this uh, chapter is incompatible with what we were talking about previously, which is that the symbolism of Lot going to the east and, and living among the cities um, and 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 also the the sort of... that Lot had to... Had to be moved out of the picture for the plan to sort of proceed, but also the possibility that if Lot had chosen differently, he would have been included as part of the plan. Um, you know, we talk about. Uh, I I don't Lot. know that it's a fantastic analogy. Lot is but, included you know, as part of the plan. His children become great nations. Yes, yeah. but not the nation. Yeah. yeah. Um, how much of how much of the suggestion here is that it's a particular nation? Because I know the covenant with Abraham is modified a bit. So um, initially, God says, "Just leave, and I'll make your children a great nation." And I think my memory from our quarter on um, our series on covenants was that it, it is at a later statement of the covenant that God says, "Through you, all the world will be blessed." Uh, no, it's actually in chapter twelve. Is it? I think that that phrase yep. that phrase actually is is so is part of the initial call of Abraham. Right, I'm misremembering it then. Yeah. Mm. Um, yes, it's chapter twelve, verse three. Yeah, but oh, what I was going to say is we we often think of I mean I say we I often think of God, when I'm thinking about God's plan. You know, we tend to misdefine a plan 
as a single course of action, a single series of events. Mm. It's not what a plan is. At least it's not what a good plan is. That might describe a very bad, simple plan. Good plan have has has lots of contingencies. Can I tell you an example? Makes, can I tell you? Yeah, an, go for it. Can yeah. I tell you an example of a bad plan that also had many contingencies? Um, I don't know. <laughs> yes, if this go will for stay it. up in the sure. edit. Do you remember at Avondale <laughs> School when they instituted the color codes for various types of emergencies, so that they could call? Nope. Okay, well, this must have happened after your time. They're going to call over a PA. Well, no, it probably happened during <laughs> our time. I just don't remember. The idea was that you couldn't have someone an announcement saying intruder, 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 because then the intruder is notified that they've been spotted and they might become aggressive. And so you say code purple, code purple. So you had different colours that were going to be read over the PA, but there was about 11 different colours, you know, covering every imaginable different sort of emergency. And... Um, we were in stitches over the thing. We thought it was highly probable that there'd be a fire and we'd all be under the desks waiting for an earthquake and, <laughs> or there'd be an intruder and we'd all be out on the oval. So, but, but your point still stands, Luke, that a, a plan, a plan mm. doesn't mean a particular course of action. At the broadest level, a plan is an intent. My mm. plan yes. is well, to cook a good meal. But I got home and found that the cooktop wasn't working, so I had to change what was in my mind. I, you know, I had sort of planned to cook pasta, but then I had to bake something because the cooktop wasn't working. Okay, but my plan is to provide a good meal, so I'm sticking to plan. Right. I, I would say it, it at its at its most fundamental level, it's a goal, and it is a actions that can be taken to get to that goal. Um, but in in any case, when 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 you think about God's plan, I try and think about. The concept that it is such a good plan, there is literally nothing anybody can do to stop it working. Oh, yes, there is. Absolutely, there is. Uh, we can make choices. No, well, but, no, uh... we can make choices, and that impacts parts of the plan. It may impact us significantly and others, but God's plan can account for it in the ultimate end. Um, and, and I'm being a bit of a devil's advocate. Go for it. Um, uh, but our traditional conception of uh, the plan of salvation is that it can be utterly thwarted in an individual case by the state of mind of the individual. Yes, but it, it, let's say that God's goal is to save as many people as possible. No, no, his goal is to save everybody. That's very clear. Well, okay. Let's... I think uh, there's, there's a statement to that effect in one of the Gospels. Yes. All right. Let's say his desire is to save everybody. His plan is to save as many people as possible. His will. His wi- That's the phrase. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yes, I would agree with you that human, that human uh, free will can thwart God's will. I wouldn't say it can stop God's plan in its entirety. Mm-hmm. So I can prevent God from saving me and maybe even some other people if I'm particularly uh, committed to, to causing evil in the world. Um, but I can't stop God saving as many people as possible. Now, I admit there's a lot vague about that, but that's the best I've come up with. To The trouble is that you have it both ways, don't you? Because we're sort of under the pump. Because either we say, no, um, we can interfere with God's plan, in which case God was irresponsible to create a universe where ill-informed and ill-motivated beings are capable of hindering his plan. Um, Unless there's very good reasons to do that that we're not aware of. Well, yeah, I know, but still. Um, uh, or, or you say, 
or you say that we can't interfere with God's plan, which seems to suggest uh, our actions are of somehow less consequence in the world, uh, which doesn't seem to be what we're picking up in Genesis. Um, certainly, I think I think it's fair to say that... Um, okay, so maybe God wouldn't have really preferred the Hagar-Ishmael incident. Um, but maybe he... Well, preferred... Maybe he preferred that to like a careful dictation of his plan in every detail to Abraham because he's well, he I, doesn't I would say outline he mechanism definitely very preferred clearly. it to to Ishmael and Hagar dying in the desert. Yeah, yeah. I think that there's certainly some. Um, well, if you take it at face value, God changes his plans very directly, doesn't he? Or he seems willing to if you read that when when Abraham um, argues with with God. That's kind of the point I'm getting at, in that a good plan is adaptable. And so what I'm trying to say when I say we can't we can't thwart God's plan is not that his plan is unchangeable and we don't have free will, so it doesn't matter what we do, it will happen mm. regardless. What I'm trying to get at is the I think the idea is that no matter what we do, God can adapt. Yeah. So it's like it's like when God's never in the position where he's like, Oh, whoa, I never thought of him doing that. What am I going to do now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so rather, I I like the idea that you know the traditional image of God, which is not exactly in our doctrinal belief anyway, sort of a, a, omnipotent, omniscient, and um, uh, what's the last one? Om- omnipresent, I think. Is- omnipresent. Yeah, which is unaccountably pronounced differently because English is weird. Um, <laughs> 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 omnipresent omnipresent yes omnipresent omnipotent and omniscient there we go now it's consistent um yeah rather than that combination i like the idea of uh omniadaptable it doesn't doesn't flow off the tongue i am wondering whether that might even help account for so cam you, you just referred to again referred to this idea that god's plan wasn't communicated in in great clarity to poor old abram um and you know i i earlier alluded to this idea that if god is making some kind of statement about the role of lot then good on him for trying but he's certainly not making it very clear i think that actually if we look at the story of abram this lack of clarity in the details is a bit of a of a persistent trend to be honest um, all the way through, even to the point where God says, go and sacrifice your son Isaac. That's a very clear and detailed instruction. But then it, even that, it turns out that it's sort of different from what it first appears. So God seems not to be prioritizing extreme clarity of the, the details. Ah, and Luke, could that, be, could that be because God's plan is not at the level of the details? It's God's plan is a, is a, is a sort of big strokes destination and he's he's respecting he if he if he dictated the details at the start then abram is a robot but he sort of says okay like even right from the very start because he says go to the this is something that i've just noticed looking at the text in verse in chapter 12 you're making ken's brain hurt what do uh, do i need to stop and let ken <laughs> no i'm just waiting because i'm busting to jump in it's a, it's such a good point <laughs> Uh, your your point is such a good point. I want to jump. You in. jump in, and I'll return to this. 
No, no, no. You okay. keep going because now that we've spoken about me jumping in, I've forgotten what I wanted to say to some Yeah, bring it back. So so God's plan is not in the particular details. And I said at the end with the sacrificing, the instructing of sacrifice, but actually right at the very start, as we are reading this story, it is now bothering me increasingly that God's original instruction is as vague as it is. Go, leave your father's house and go to the land I will show you. Not, not go to this land that I am now showing you. Go to the land I will show you. And actually, the reason why that's so jumping out at me is because in this verse, in chapter 13, verse 14, what does God do? God shows Abram the land. Lift up your eyes and look from where you are in all the directions for all the land that you see I will give you. Now, it's not quite perfect because actually in chapter 12, verse 7, when they're um, at the the place at Shechem to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So maybe he has already showed Abram the land. But I, I like the connection here of verse 14, God showing Abram the land, connecting back to that original instruction. Mm. I think there's, um, and I think you've raised a good point. Can I raise this distinction? Can I raise the distinction between a particular outcome and a particular result on the one hand and a particular method or process or function mm. on the other hand. And uh, so often we talk about God's plan in terms of an outcome or result. Mm. I wonder whether a more instructive view of God's plan is to leave an open-ended result based on the use of this particular process. Uh, and, oh, that's a brilliant insight, Ken, because that is exactly how you try and plan in a complicated scenario for which there is no roadmap. You focus on processes. You focus on, focus on what is within your power. That is the things that you do because you can't necessarily focus on specific goals because the environment is very complicated and shifting. And what is more complicated and shifting than all of reality? Yeah. Hmm. Maybe maybe then God's plan was to have a particular sort of relationship with Abram. With a particular sort of person at a particular time. Well, And, and ultimately with, yeah. with everyone. And God says, all right, I'm going to have this sort of relationship. It's going to be a relationship built on trust. Um there's going to be give and take on both sides. Uh, God promises things to Abram. Abraham commits to God. Um, uh, there's some mutuality of um, of agency. There's the both mm. parties are involved. God says, "Yeah, that's the sort of plan I want." Oh, okay. So, um, right. That's what Abram's doing. All right. Well, yeah, that's fine. I can I can still I can still work. I with, can work with it. I can work with that. Yeah. We can still have the sort of relationship I want under these circumstances. It, it makes it makes you wonder if Abram had picked a different direction, would Israel have been founded in the middle of Africa, or in Italy, or you know, Tasmania? Did, did it really matter? <laughs> but hey, you, you, I think I, I I wonder whether or not it even goes deeper down than this. So we're talking here at the level of uh, human decision making, if you like, and that. Part of God's plan is to have the uh, world, the universe, work out uh, however it may 
using a process that involves free moral agents. Hmm. I wonder if that freedom might extend a little bit further um, to the biological world generally. I wonder whether that freedom might extend a little bit further um, to even down to the sub-subatomic quantum level um, and so that one can never know with certainty what state a particular thing is in. There's this freedom that exists, um, uh, this uncertainty that exists even at, at the very base level of matter itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's all part of God's plan uh, to have this free world that works itself out. Mm. I, I wonder if I can take us to another part of Genesis briefly to, to, to illustrate, um, because do, I, do I, that, I think it is a, yeah, I think it is a really good example of the, what we're pondering. And I think it, if I remember correctly, this is something, this is the one that Locke and I looked at um, ourselves, but I, I think we should jump back to it because it's really relevant to this current discussion. So it's Cain and Abel again in Genesis 4. And I had never noticed in this story just how much God talks to Cain. Most of the story is God talking to Cain. Hmm. Now, why is the story about God? Cain's the bad guy. Abel's the the tragic hero. That's actually, I mean, narratively speaking, it's actually hmm. not the case. Cain is the hero of the story. And I don't mean hero in moral terms. I mean, he is the main character of hmm. Genesis 4. It follows his story mm. it's mostly from his point of view now why does god talk to cain so much what i see when i read it now is god is try is giving cain multiple opportunities to repent mm. essentially to change his course of action and and to to follow god's to follow god's plan mm. right mm. um to some greater good. What that good is, we don't know, because as far as the story tells it, Cain never takes any of the opportunities that God gives him. But God gives him multiple opportunities. Yeah. Mm. Now, now, how would the story of Genesis have been different if, for example, Cain, in chapter, in chapter 4, verse 6, listens to God say, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And he goes, oh, okay, thank you for the warning. I am sorry for for getting angry when I should not have got angry. And uh, I will make up with my brother. (laughs) You know what would have happened then? Esau would have been the child of the king. Yes. And Lot Lot the chosen... <laughs> that is the first instance. And, and Ishmael. When you read when you read six and seven carefully, God is trying to stop Cain from making a terrible mistake. Cain goes ahead and makes a mistake anyway. God comes back and talks to him after he's killed Abel, and he gives him both well, he he curses him, right? Okay, punishment. Cain he also it. gives him instru- instructions and protection. Hmm. So it's, it's not just punishment. You can take it back even further when you look at it in that way, particularly the warning, mm. uh, uh, because you can go right back to Adam and Eve. Mm. 
I mean, God specifically said to them, uh, look, this is what's going to happen. Um, uh, I know we've spoken about that a lot, and but, but th- there was a specific warning there. So he was trying to point out the difficulty and the danger the same way he did for Cain. I'm going to jump in only because um, I think it would be very fruitful at this point in time to go back to Genesis. Our principal problem seems to be in going forward on this podcast. <laughs> and um, we, we still haven't said much more about Lot. So I'm going to, I'm going to uh, interject. Um, yes. I think take, take us forward again. I, I just, I just thought that was, Yeah. I would encourage everyone again, go and read Genesis four really carefully. It's not long. Um, and look at the way that God's plan unfolds. Certainly, I think one of and the before themes... we go forward. Ah, uh, Ken's got four points. No, no, no before, no, but I've only got <laughs> okay. one. But go back even further <laughs> and just ask yourself this question: When God said, "It is good," it is good, it is very good. What was it about those things that He had made which was mm. good? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, let's go to life. Okay. Um, I think right. I think that um, this question, what what does God's plan look like? Um, how is it executed? To what degree are we agents as part of this plan? Um, is is one of the main themes of Genesis? You've picked it up from uh, Cain and Abel. The flood again. God chooses to send a flood. Well, he could have just protected some animals, but he asks Noah to be part of that. Um, Abraham seems to have been asked, God's like, hey, do you want to be partners on this? And Abraham's like, yep, I'm keen. So there seems to be a, a sense in which God does not want an, a plan that's independent from other people's agency. Um, exactly what part Lot has in the plan is interesting. One of the points I wanted to pick up from this story is that um, it specifically mentions that Sodom and Gomorrah are, are full of evil people. And um, we love a story with goodies and baddies. And um, we tell this story a lot more, for instance, often than the story of Abraham de- uh, pretending that Sarah was his sister. Hmm. In, the, in those stories, the neighbouring people are shown to be much more righteous. And if, you, if we wanted to jump ahead to Genesis 20, which is I think this might be the second time it occurs, um, it's when Abimelech, the king of Gerah, sends for Sarah, takes her as his wife but he's warned in a dream not to sleep with her because she's married and he says he says to god in his dream um i didn't know i didn't know she's they said they were brother and sister i had no idea i was doing anything wrong and god says yes i know your intention was pure which is why i kept you from sinning um now give the man's wife back to him he'll pray for you it'll be resolved abimelech follows what god says at least as well as abram does in, in in the stories and then he gets to Abraham and says, Abraham is Abraham by this stage, um, why did you do this? And Abraham says in chapter 20, verse uh, 11, oh, I, I just sort of assumed that there was no one around here who feared God and that they'd kill me to get my wife. Hmm. And of course, Abraham is wrong. And hmm. there's multiple times in this story. So one of them is this. One of them is when he offers the tithes to Melchizedek. Uh, one of them is when he's negotiating for a tomb to bury Sarah, where the local people are shown to be pretty decent sorts. Um, and 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 in this story with Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, as we've sort of started to tease out already, um, the goodies in the story are not 100% goodies. Well, they're not infallible, certainly. They're not infallible. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, exactly what part... Because I've just said that God expects us to have some part in his plan. But then here, there's people here who, who are not followers of God in the same way that Abraham is. But they mm. seem to be part of God's plan sometimes. The Sodomites and Gomorrah rites, less so perhaps. But there's other people through whom God works. Mm. Well, we're just about to get to Melchizedek. If we ever manage to get past chapter 12, um, we will get to uh, chapter 13, rather, we'll get to Melchizedek. But uh, I was just going to say, I think, Ken, this is what Cam's observing here is actually a fantastic um, testimony of God's commitment to free will, that he allows his plan to be so much more complicated and so much more difficult to achieve by Mm. including the choices of humans somehow accounting for, allowing for working through the choices of humans. Whereas if he didn't have to bother with that free will stuff, and I guess this comes right back to the whole creation of humans in the first place. If he didn't have to bother with any of that free will stuff, his plan would be much easier to make happen. Ah, but then it wouldn't be his plan. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I can't wait until we get to the story of Abimelech. <laughs> That's just going to be great. There is so much fun there. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should just skip over Lot. It's clear that we are never going to get to Lot. Mm. Let's just skip him and go to Abimelech. But anyway, <laughs> well, let's um, quick questions. What is the um? What are we to make of Lot's wife turning into a pillar of salt? Hmm. Uh, you you know the message that I received through the. Uh, you know, Sabbath school renderings of that story. Um, it was you need to be very, 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 very careful. Yeah, that's because if if you just you know you, you can have you can have a moment's um, <laughs> dwelling on the wrong desire, and bang, it's all over. Well, Ken, my answer mm. to that would be that um, it's possibly a less than effective. Um, packaging of the message it is unfortunately true that we have to be very 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 careful <laughs> because a moment's dwelling on the wrong desire at the wrong time expressed through action can i mean the, i've just listened to a podcast called the world's greatest con and it's all about how um a, a game show um 21 the game show was i think called 21 and um the guy who was producing the game show realized he wasn't getting very good ratings and he could get much better ratings if he just gave everyone the answers and he would create them into huge celebrities. And then people would sign contracts to say they'll agree to take you know $20,000 independent of how much they win if they can be a pawn in his hands to create drama on the screen. And these people, got, these people built careers in television on the basis of their phenomenal game show capabilities. And it, it went all the way to a congressional hearing <laughs> for the truth to come out. Amazing story. Um, but the point that the guy really dwells on as he tells the stories, the small decisions that people made, the small deals with the devil that they did along the way, that meant that by the time they were doing sort of serious deception, they were deep in. Um, hmm. And and you can't dig yourself out yeah, at that point. You can't dig yourself out at that point. And, and in point of fact, it's really difficult to pinpoint what the crime is in that case because the only people being misled are the public and they're not paying anything except except for giving their attention to the show. So... But anyway, it it did not end well for the contestants of the show when it came out. Um, it didn't didn't end well at all, or for the producer, although he was never charged with any crime. Um, but 
so 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 maybe there is some merit to saying that we have to be very very careful. Oh look, and the and the other point about that is, and I see it regularly in my work, um, people with relatively ordinary lives uh, are introduced recreationally, as it's called, uh, to methamphetamine, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they never intend uh, to become uh, thieves of multiple thousands of dollars um, and to spend time in jail when they do mm. that. Uh, but I've seen people with relatively ordinary lives who, within weeks of having first used the drug, have gone off a cliff. Mm. Um, and so it, it it is true. That, 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 that is true. Um, I just wonder what that message in this context, uh, reading that message in this context, says about God. Yeah, see, I we've just commented on God's, with Adam and Eve in Eden, with Cain, with the with Noah. Uh, God has seemed in so consistently to be willing to give people the benefit of the doubt and, and try again. Um, but he did give them the warning. It's fair to say he did give them the warning. Don't turn around and look back. Well, it, I, I think that that could be part of it. It's, it's, in other words, I, I feel like the story doesn't tell me that Lot's wife was a good person who made a small slip up. The whole, the whole story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is set up by Abraham arguing in this Dutch auction, pulling God down, saying you wouldn't destroy it. You wouldn't destroy evil if it meant the destruction of good, would you, God? And God says, no, no, that's not a transaction that I like to participate in. If there's any good at all, then I let it thrive, even if it means that I have to leave some evil to exist. That, that seems to me to be what Abraham and God are discussing. And they're not even five good people. There's only four. But what it seems to me that the, I've always felt, the, the wife turning into stone, is essentially the narrative saying she wasn't even a good person. She really was spiritually aligned with Sodom and Gomorrah. God, in his graciousness, had had given her even that last extra chance. I I, I mean, let's let's be really careful with the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, because the three people who, in in terms of judging who who is righteous in it, because I think it is it is natural to sort of connect because it immediately precedes it the 10 righteous people hmm. with the people who who escaped from Sodom and Gomorrah and how there were only three people who escaped and three is less than 10. Therefore, we can make this sort of connection. However, at least from our sort of modern conception of things, what the three people who escape from Sodom and Gomorrah do more or less immediately afterwards is not something we would consider yeah, to be moral behaviour. No, no, no. This is the point I was, I was going to make. Um, if we can speculate that wife's that Lot's wife had mixed morals, we can be reasonably sure about his daughters. Well, um, and him. Well, he gets drunk, and that's. Well, he does there, but I mean, again, we come back to chapter 
13, from which we will never leave, he chose to live among the cities. Yeah. Well, where I mean, he said that, that, yeah. that people who did not obey God lived. So if I can be a little bit provocative here, we do need Please to do. be a bit cautious because further on in the story of Genesis, there is the story of Tamar, who after being denied the, the right of leveret marriage and the ability to produce offspring and who is sent back to her own household, which is utter rejection and complete humiliation, Tamar dresses as a prostitute and falls pregnant by her father-in-law and is declared by him more righteous than he. I think in a world where women's women's value is to produce offspring and to maintain the the ongoing of family lines i'm just not quite sure i I agree with you the author of genesis clearly thinks that what they've done is not great because of telling that story and what are the nations that they end up yeah it's moab and and another one which features very negatively for the rest of the old testament yeah um I'm, I don't, I'm not looking it, it, at the right I, page. I, I wonder if it, the story of Lot follows, it, it contrasts very strongly with Abraham's story, just in the sense of their material fortunes. Mm. Right. In chapter 13, Lot chooses the best land mm. after Abraham gives him the choice. He chooses wealth and prosperity and comfort, you know, because that's what cities mm. And he ends up he ends up in a cave... Drunk. And how does the story? He ends up in the cave with his two daughters, the only survivors mm. of the destruction of civilization in that valley. Um, and Abram goes on to incredible wealth and riches by the end of his life. Maybe that's one of the points. The the um, one of the points of Genesis is that the story uh, does not divide into goodies and baddies. Abraham at times has his own failings. Um, he, you know, it's really interesting. That when in in chapter twelve, when he says that Sarah is his sister, what is the result of this? In verse sixteen and seventeen of chapter twelve, is this where he gets riches from Pharaoh because of Sarah, specifically? Yeah. You know, in the what does your translation say, Lot? So which verse is it? I'm reading 20? the message where the verse numbers are mixed up a bit. Um, no, no, earlier than that, he um, in verse sixteen and seventeen. Yeah, of. and for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had yeah. sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So Abraham materially benefits through lying. Um, so Abraham, the story does not, <laughs> the story doesn't divide very clearly into goodies and baddies. Mm. Um, in fact, uh, it's a bit bewildering if you were to sit down and try and work out exactly if you were going to give them a score. Um, the thing, the thing that is clear is, despite all his mistakes and misinterpretations and haphazard guesses at what God's will is, Abram, and then Abraham, uh, keeps coming back to God. Mm. He says that's his. He keeps coming back, keeps coming back, keeps coming back, keeps coming back, keeps listening to God, keeps making a new commitments to follow God. You know, it stays on that journey. The feeling we get with Lot is not is not the same feeling. Um. I'm going to throw one extra speculation in, which may not help with our discussion at all. Isn't it possible that Lot's wife was from Sodom? 
It's very possible. I was actually just looking into that possibility, Cam. Lot's wife is not mentioned until chapter 19. Mm-hmm. Lot is mentioned as an individual, and his possessions are mentioned, um, but his, he, he's never mentioned as having a household mm. up, until, up until 19, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. I, I didn't read... I, I skimmed the chapters. I reckon we should do a whole a whole uh, episode on Genesis 18 and 19 um, because it is really interesting and the morality is really complex because one of the things in 19 that I'm just noticing is that Lot is, he very much fears the Lord. Um, and <laughs> it, and we're told that again, as I referred to the other week in Second Peter, um, that he was a righteous man. Well, and it's it's that thing that it, so what is the difference between him and, and Abram, other than maybe that Abram was a bit better and a bit more consistent at following God's instructions? Yeah, I think I think this is a tough one. The fact that Lot chooses the best land for himself. There's a certain that seems suggestion to be of selfishness. The splitting point. I'm going to suggest two things. Uh, for further discussion. And if we don't get to them, then maybe our listeners mm. can contemplate these things themselves. Um, uh, one is this. It will be fascinating, as well as the other topics that have been raised, to do a comparison of Abram in Egypt and Sarah and, and Abram, Abraham and Abimelech. Um, there's obviously parallels and there's some real differences one of the first differences is that abram is abram in egypt and he's abraham and when he deals with abimelech um uh so that would be one the other is if the point of the story is there is danger well you don't always get what you want when you look for the best um i'm reminded of the hymn uh, uh i will worship i'll worship only at the feet of jesus And it has these lyrics. I went to visit the Shrine of Plenty, but found its storerooms all filled with dust. I bowed at altars of gold and silver, but as I knelt there, they turned to rust. The call of fortune made me a pilgrim to journey to fame's promised heights. But as I climbed, the promise faded, and wind blew lonely all through the night. All promises that turned to lies, the gods of earth fell and betrayed me. You alone are truth and life. Ken, I made a facetious comment at the start of this podcast about about you being to blame for our um, discussion last week. I'm, I'm going to retract it now, and I'm going to suggest um, that you have a, a spiritual gift for synthesis. And next time I preach at Launceston Church, I think I'd like you to give the concluding thoughts. <laughs> but I, I won't tell you what I'm preaching on. You'll you'll just have to jot them down as I go through. <laughs> Well, I look forward to the challenge and I'll no doubt have to uh, spend many hours in prayer. <laughs> uh, anyone who wants to write in can to the email address sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. If you uh, share this podcast with uh, anyone you want, that would be wonderful. You can leave a, a rating or a review if you use a, a podcast app. We obviously have fun recording these and we'll have discussions where no one listening, but... Uh, having been recorded, they can be distributed easily. So if you know anyone who, who would benefit, please share and uh, send us any thoughts. Um, put us back on the state, straight and narrow if we need it, uh, which if we're to take the story of Abraham and Lot seriously, 
is a very real possibility. Um, and uh, please join us again next week.